This is the one with a chronic hysteresis, a prickly paw, and a good old-fashioned doppelganger. It's called Megalos. Thanks be Thanks to time. Be to time. <laughs> I did that completely <laughs> wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space Counting Daleks, Dalent, Ood and the Cybertronic race Antarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please Episode by episode we're trudging down this temporal Come join us on this odyssey, what other choice could there be than Who back when? Who back when? Hello, dearest podcast land, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Who Back When, the Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doctor Past. Correctamundo. That lovely voice belongs to the amazing co-host that I had the privilege of seeing on my screen across Skype, namely Jim. Hello, Jim. Wait, that is my name, Jim. I thought you were talking about someone else, but no, it's me. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hello, Jim, and I am Leon, and today... We are reviewing Megalos, which is, in Who Back When terms, C111. 111. Pretty rad. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) dress up for the occasion. That's pretty cool. Megalos is complex. How did you feel about it? (laughs) Um, Most, I don't know, mostly like it was a piece of shit. I'm not sure. I am thrilled to hear you say that because I'm gonna be I'm gonna be straight up with you. I freaking love this serial. Oh awesome. <laughs> this is gonna be fun. <laughs> That's not to say that we will spend the next hour and a half or so tearing it to shreds. <laughs> I will happily help you to do so. Uh, by the I way, will help I... you sing some praises. Oh nice. Well, before we start doing either of those two things, how about we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who to introduce Podcast Land to the general plot? As we understand it. As we understand it, it's a big (laughs) caveat. But yes, absolutely, that sounds like an amazing place to start. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. On the planet Tigella, a mysterious dodecahedron has divided the population into the religious Dions and the scientifically inclined Savants, both of whose future is under threat, and both of whom rely on the object's power to stay alive. Something's going wrong, though, and thus the Savants summon Doc to help them work out what's wrong with their energy source. Doc and Romana, meanwhile, are still trying to repair K-9 after his failed attempt to become a seafaring vessel, when a sinister space cactus from Zolfafura puts them in an allegedly as inescapable time loop, assumes the Doctor's identity, and heads to Tigella to steal the dodecahedron for his own planet-destroying means. B-Scout over. over. <laughs> you are welcome. Aren't you just... <laughs> I would like to point out that I am completely sober right now. It is 3.30pm in Oxford, and I am staring at a bottle of tequila and a beer, and I intend to turn this review into a drinking game so that I am completely (laughs) off my tits by the end of it. When am I to drink this? (laughs) What are the rules? Uh, What are the rules? I was going to be mean and just say whenever we say Megalos. (laughs) (laughs) We could definitely have Cactus. Cactus, yeah. This is why I went with tequila, because it's based on agave, which is spiky, right? So it's, uh, I, I feel like it's appropriate. It's very appropriate. In yeah, fact, you just said Megalos. Oh, so that I'm going to have a little sip of this. <laughs> I hate tequila. Sip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he says going back for a second. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's gross. Oh, wow. 
Whilst that's uh, settling in your brain, do you have a starter question for us? I do have. I've written down two starter questions, but I've also written down, you may recall that after our last review, I said, you know what? I remember the next one relatively well. Yes. So I wrote down before I started watching it, this morning I, I watched this serial, I wrote down what I remembered this being about, and I was not wholly right. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. But I am, I'm sure that I have seen this. I absolutely remember... Like, I remember the visuals, but here's what I wrote down. Doc is marooned on a jungle planet with some future humans, previously marooned there themselves. But before he can save them all, he is bitten by a plant and turned into an evil cactus and revered as a god by the indigenous cavemen who want to kill the supposed invaders. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of that is editorializing because it's like I I remember there being cavemen. I remember him turning into a cactus. <laughs> yeah. There's some visual themes carried correctly through. I yeah. think otherwise, thematically, it's pretty much wrong <laughs> on every account. <laughs> yeah. Oh, memory is such a wonderful thing. It really is. Okay, so fine. I'll start us off with a question, and you can um, give me your opinion on the following. Okay. What's the deal with the accountant, Mr. Four Eyes McSquarepants? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you thought he was an accountant as well. I don't think it's ever said, but he blatantly looks like an accountant. <laughs> but what's the deal with him? I have no idea. Like, it generally looks like he's been grabbed out of 1980s Earth. I mean, I'm assuming that is the case. He's wearing Earth clothes. He's wearing a tie regular glasses there's nothing space about him no he's forever referred to as the earthling which yeah. is just <laughs> so so insulting and a shitty part of this series, <laughs> the fact that he doesn't get a name and, <laughs> like he's almost a hero like he almost like frees himself and stops megalith and he's never ever surprised by anything like i mean he's Apparently been kidnapped by space aliens, taken aboard a spaceship to an alien planet where there's lots of weird tech, there are crazy plants, and he's taken over by a cactus. But he's always just like, oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, in a serial where a cactus has built lots of scientific and technological equipment. Yeah, how did that work? Can can morph into basically everything. Yep. Can manipulate time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, all these kind of things. One of the weirdest things is that there's an an earthling brought in from the 1980s without any explanation. (laughs) Do you understand why I love this serial? (laughs) It's so good. I mean, in a way, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait, you said cactus. Oh, this tequila is not getting better. Did you enjoy his... I'm sorry to jump straight to the end, but I mean, he's the also the concluding gag here. So this person who is... who's who's plucked from a presumably or apparently non-space-related context is given the option, do you want to stay here? And he's like, yeah, because my wife is back there. (laughs) Oh, wait, I missed that phrasing. I thought he was just like, oh, no, I've got to get home. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, so for the record, he doesn't say my wife is back there. But he clearly, like, he thinks about it for a moment, and then he says something to the effect of, yeah, I don't know if I do want to go back there, because my wife is going to be really upset with me, because I said I was going to be back 20 minutes later. Yeah, it's a bit of a... It's like a chauvinist joke hammed in at the end. But also, this dude is on an alien planet! (laughs) Why is he not panicking? I don't know. I do wonder... He's drugged up to his eyeballs when he first arrives. Like it looks like he's he's been like conscious for maybe the the thirty seconds that he speaks. Oh, that's when, true. Um, 
he's first introduced to Megalos, and then he's knocked out again. It's like <laughs> he probably just thinks this is all some big trip. And he's like, no, I better get home to the wife. Actually, that's a super good point because I, I also reacted to this when he is separated from Megalos entirely, and Megalos turns into just weird green sludge, which is described as light, by the way, but it's clearly just a blob. Yeah. Then he has no recollection of what's been happening. But throughout the serial, he is trying to pull himself out of Megalos in some yeah. way. So that suggests to me that he is living this horrible nightmare inside of Megalos. Yeah, it, I would assume that he's a, aware of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I, don't <laughs> I mean, you still fight in your dreams, don't you? Like, you, I guess that's true. I don't know. Is that what you're? Are you giving us an insight into your subconscious? Yeah, you know. I mean, you also spend all <laughs> of your nights in an internal struggle, right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't every dream you have starting with a white jacket where the uh, the arms tie around the back and you have to get out? No. Okay. <laughs> Just me. (laughs) (laughs) Lots more questions, actually, suddenly. But if you want to take this in a different direction, feel free, and I'll interject with another question at some point. No, you go. Run run with it. Let the mind flow. Okay. Why why don't we... Because my next question was actually going to be about the ending as well. But why don't we, before we do that, why don't we talk about the setup, the dynamic between the different factions in this serial? We have the Savants and the Deons, incredibly well named, by the way. The Savants, who are the... (laughs) The people who focus on scientific knowledge and the Daeons who worship the Dodecahedron as their deity. But they are the same species. They live on the planets Tigella or Tigella or whatever. Then there is the, what was it called? Zarathustra? What's it called? Zolfathura, which is the the cactus planet. They Uh, invented... uh, And screams or something like that. Yes, exactly, yeah. But it used to be a really like plant-heavy planet, but because of some war, it is now just a desert. I think this might also be a case of there's only one left of the species. Actually, he says that in the beginning, doesn't he? He, He's the last of the Zolfathurans. Yeah. Megalos is. But the Zolfathurans are the ones that invented the Dodecahedron. That's their tech. Oh, I think I missed that bit. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's their tech. I mean, it wasn't invented by uh, the Tigellans, right? Because they don't know where it came from. That's why they go, oh, this is either science or it's a message from God. So how did it land there? What's its actual purpose? Who are these weird space pirates? Where did they come from? (laughs) (laughs) These are all really good questions. (laughs) How did Megalos contact them? Because Megalos has spent 10,000 years underground in his bunker, right? Okay, yeah, I don't know. The whole space pirates... They're most of the reason that my score is going to be as low as it is, probably. <laughs> really? I love... Okay, wait. I dare you to name one bad thing about the Space Pirates. <laughs> everything about the Space Pirates. <laughs> their mode of speech, their attempt, attempted humor around them. Oh, they're so good. How dumb they are. Yeah, they're crazy dumb. It's the like fact that, that they they look like Mongols, but <laughs> they can fly spaceships. Yeah, we don't uh, understand. No, everything. <laughs> That's so good. My favorite is clearly, what's his name? I've written him down. (laughs) His name is Brotodak, but I I found that only thanks to the trivia on Todd's Wikia. But throughout my notes, I've written either Rotherham, Rotterdam, Rotherhide, Rottenberg, or Rottweiler. (laughs) I can never figure out what his name was. But his name is Brotodak, which is, thank you, Todd's Wikia, an anagram of bad actor. Yeah. Apparently an in-joke from the production team. But he is clearly the best part of the pirates, do you not think? No, he's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
you seem to love this. Uh, like, it's not the only time this has happened in Classic Who, but I, I hate these kind of characters that are meant to be just a little bit of comic relief, and yeah. they're just they're just stupid. They're stripped down <laughs> stereotypes with no, without personality, and they're just bumbling along and a little bit of jokes or just there to you know move some one tiny bit of the plot along. But how would you and, compare them to? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm cutting you off there. Sorry. I was just saying, yeah, but I just don't find them fun. I find them annoying. So how would you compare them to Garen and Unstoff? Garen and Unstoff were light years ahead of these two. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you and say that. Yeah, like at least they had a bit of character. I'm very glad to hear you say that. I wonder if Garen and Unstoff will show up in a future audiobook. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but... Um... These, these, in my mind, were more like in The Creature in the Pit one, where like oh, all we yeah. want is metal. Metal, 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 metal. Yeah, that's Except true. And... Orthodox cases. All I want is a coat, a coat, a coat, a coat, a coat, a coat, a coat. I really like that, but I thought that there would be more to it. Yeah, it's not. It just wants a coat. <laughs> yeah, he wants a coat. I love the look on his face. He's so pleased when he knows that he's going to get two coats. <laughs> <laughs> two coats? I'll be a bloody millionaire. <laughs> I agree with you that Garen and Unstoff are more well-rounded characters. These are just silly archetypes. But he plays the Unstoff character to the other dude's Garen. Yeah. Like, all he wants is, like, <laughs> you know, Garen and Unstoff are preparing the biggest heist ever, but Unstoff still wants to just, like, steal someone's wallet, <laughs> which is pretty great. <laughs> how do you feel about their, like, face gurning? Like, there's Hammy acting and then yeah. there's... <laughs> I don't know what what you call what they did. (laughs) So I hated it in the beginning. I absolutely hated it in the beginning. And not just them. In fact, I I hated the overacting uh, on Tigella or Tigella more than the Pirates ones. But then after a while, it really grew on me. And I loved the Pirates overacting. In particular, Rotterdam. I thought he was great. But... (laughs) But the overacting in the debate chamber, for example. What's his name? Uh, what is his name? Sasta. Sasta. Oh, Sasta. He was... Wowee. I'm going to say rest in peace, because he was probably 150 years old when they recorded this serial. <laughs> but, but, but Wow. His acting was lacking some oomph. Yeah. <laughs> Like that was obvious for me. I, I assume by your by the sounds of it, for you as well. From the first like line he uttered, you were yeah. like, "Oh my god, this guy's bad." Yeah, he is just regurgitating and, lines. <laughs> yeah, I finally <laughs> broke like halfway through episode two and just wrote, "Yeah, Zasta really is a shit actor." <laughs> <laughs> he should have been called a Brodadak. <laughs> he should. <laughs> Is Zaster someone we have come across before? Because Doc has been to this planet and has met Zaster before. Yeah, we have not. Okay. Not in TV who, anyway. I looked up all of the actors. I didn't look up the character on TARDIS Wiki, but I, I don't think that he's appeared in any... As he's certainly not appeared in any TV episodes, but that basically only leaves, you know, novels at this point. Yeah. But, um, no, I think it's completely new. And this planet is completely new as well. It's interesting when they d- decide to do that, to put a backstory in. Yeah. Which they haven't done. I think I would prefer it if it was a, a more interesting story for them to put a backstory to. And there was some kind of payoff for it as well. It, like, it, it doesn't matter in the slightest, other than the fact that... <laughs> it, it makes him more interesting, doesn't it? Like, it makes their relationship potentially more interesting. But Zasta doesn't really do a lot with the Doctor, does he? You're right. They could have done more with it. I mean, it allows for maybe some suspicion, like seeds of suspicion, to be sowed in his interactions with... 
fake doctor with Megalos doctor oh tequila um but <laughs> that only turns into like one line of well surely you've been here before you know the way right and it also yeah. allows for the doctor to go oh hey so nice to see you you know you've changed a little bit yeah i just i feel like if you want him to put in this kind of stuff beef it up a bit i don't know because we've had it with sharda didn't we with the warden and that's a lovely scene where he's yeah. like reeling off the years that the doctor has come to the college and you you get this bigger relationship and then doc sits down with professor Colotus and you you get that they've they have a relationship they have a history well, yeah well, you're right you never get this between Zaster and the doctor that is true but i would argue that there is way more going on in this serial than there is in Sharda. there's not really that much time yeah. to explore individual relationships i mean i would have loved to know a little bit more about what's going on between the the dayons and the savants that seems to be a, like they have a rich culture which is constantly hinted at but there's nothing oh whoa that tequila just like <laughs> fumes just went into my eyeballs weirdly <laughs> <laughs> But that culture is just hinted at us, and we get to see a few kind of silly rituals. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle any religion by saying that, but I, I mean silly in the sense that the contrast between someone who's constantly just manning a console and other people who worship a, a piece of tech as a deity, all of those things are... Whatever, you know what I'm saying. Like, I mean, there is lots of culture there that is left unexplored. Yeah, which I think, again, is a failing of this serial, though. Like, if you want to make a point about religion versus science... Yeah, which this is not about. This serial is not about that. It's not, but there's a massive thing in this with science versus religion because that's Mm -hmm. the makeup of that society. And it's not dealt with very well. Like, if I think if I was a religious person, I would be slightly offended by this serial because it's... Maybe you can write it off as, well, that's not really a religion, it's a cult because that's the way it's portrayed. Yeah. They have weird chants and they're sacrificing people. Yeah, they have the the skills, the savvy to build these massive consoles that direct power into the planet in some way to keep themselves alive. The same culture pancakes people between rocks. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty strange. <laughs> I mean, wow, way to sacrifice as well. That's pretty I, barbaric. That's insane. That is an, a fantastically crazy bananas way to execute anyone. And it's also yeah. tremendously unhygienic. The people who are standing around there, they're going to get, you know, beef splatter on them, <laughs> on themselves. Someone has to clean up that place. Yeah, that's not a fun job. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, I just, I feel like, as quite often is the case, they've tried to pack in a lot of stuff. Like, this is a complex environment they've set up. Yeah. But a lot of it, we don't get payoff for, so it's unnecessarily stuffed. Like, you don't really need to have, you know, a religion versus science with the Tigellans. Mm. Because other than a couple of incidences where, like, obviously the Doctor gets nearly sacrificed at one point, the main issue is that it's the power source of this planet is being stolen by Megalos, who has infiltrated them, yeah. and then he's going to blow up the planet. Like, that's the big storyline. The, the yeah. internal dynamic just kind of gets in the way and then makes things a bit crap, because we've got, yeah, you've got issues, like you just said, the society is sacrificing people whilst also wielding a massive <laughs> understanding of technology, and it just doesn't gel together. It just makes you kind of go, what the fuck? It does remind me a little bit of, um, oh, crap, what's it called? The Beast of... Hang on, I'm going to whobackone.com. So should you, podcast land. Check out whobackone.com. It's an awesome website. It took a long time to build. (laughs) (laughs) 
Peladon, the Curse of Peladon and the Monster of Peladon, where you had a species that was technologically advanced enough to be considered for membership in Space United Nations, but that still had trial by combat, and like everyone was dressed as a yeah, knight yeah. and stuff. I mean, these people have laser guns. That's pretty badass. True, actually, yeah. Yeah. So why why isn't there means of execution a laser execution? Whose job is it to pull that rock up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Three people, apparently. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> or, or is it just one person? Who is a stranger of superfluous? Over generations, they've had, like, Bene Gesserit-style targeted breeding to breed one Tigellan with three arms that can suspend this one rock on his own. <laughs> By the way, we're talking about the Tigellan religious sect, the Deons, but we haven't said who leads them. Oh, yes. Do tell. This blew my mind. When she showed up on screen, I was like, oh my god, that's Babs. That's Babs. (laughs) (laughs) Barbara Wright, Jacqueline Hill, has returned for uh, one more appearance, one last appearance, sadly, on Doctor Who. And she's awesome. I mean, (laughs) she's ridiculous, and I feel really bad for Jacqueline Hill, particularly for her farewell scene, which is not a farewell scene, but so happy to see Babs on screen again. Did you find it a bit weird? Like, because I, I don't know her as, as a companion. I think I've seen the very first episode. She's in the very first episode. She's the teacher? Yeah. yeah. She's one of the first three companions, uh, those three being the granddaughter, Susan, and then Babs and Ian are the two teachers. Yeah. But, it, I mean, is it weird that a companion has come back as a minor character? Like, we've had it the other way around. Like, in You Who, Karen Gillan was in it before she became and likewise Capaldi was and oh yeah that's true but this way around is is that weird to have such a recognizable person yeah, maybe I mean she's she's a little bit older obviously she's wearing that headgear with a massive fake ponytail kind of thing mm. and also this is in color she was only in black and white cereal so maybe that's uh, you know another yeah. way for people to be like oh this is a complete everyone is new you know but you you enjoyed seeing her I thought, loved seeing her uh, send off <laughs> yeah exactly I mean she was in a cereal called the Aztecs, which obviously is about Aztecs, and in that serial, she is revered as as a, I want to say as a goddess of some sort, and like people they just sort of mistake her for this this goddess, and she totally buys into the role. <laughs> so she's wearing robes, and she's got some cool headgear, and she also participates in some rituals, and this performance by Babs, by Jacqueline Hill, it brought back, like, there, there's so much nostalgia, I mean I'm saying nostalgia because uh, even though this is really only harkening back like five, six years to when when I watched that serial. Yeah. But there's an element of nostalgia from, you know, I remember when I saw her in the Aztecs in 1963 or 64 or whenever it was. Like, it was that was great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, very happy about that. Talk about the send-off this, this character gets. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess in a way it is the send-off for the actress. Yeah. it's It seems to be written as a positive thing. Like, she sacrificed herself to save Romana. Yeah. Why? But, but that, yeah, that's the problem. It's like... <laughs> There wasn't clear motivation, and it was just, it was really quick as well. Like, it came out of nowhere, as far as I was concerned. Maybe I was writing a note or something, but yeah. No, you're right. I didn't even know there was someone still alive who could wake up and shoot, you know, it was... Yeah, nor I. I I didn't even recognize the dude who fires the shot. Like, it's as though these pirates have been traveling with a band of red shirts that we never get to know, and then at the end, it's just like, oh, wait, one of the the red shirts gets off one final shot before he dies. I I mean, I had a note, sorry. I had a note at one point well, I think when they were sat in the, the spaceship, maybe when the first first came over, uh, I can't find my note at the moment, when they first came over with Megalos to the planet. <laughs> Megalos, that ex-cactus. Oh, kill tequila. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there is another crew member who's like clearly in shot in frame, and he happens to be black. And oh, I, I wrote, didn't notice. I wrote down, ah, okay, token black crew member. Will yeah. he get to say anything? And no, he doesn't. He appears in another scene where K9 is used as a distraction. Like he's he's the guard that gets knocked out by a rock. Oh, wait, I don't even remember this. <laughs> so what, is this pre or post giant pencil battering ram? Oh, I think it's quite a bit after that. This is uh, okay. uh, right near the end of episode four. This is like Romano has teamed up with the savants and like everyone's coming to save the day, I guess. Okay. Breaking into the prison. Breaking into the prison? Did we watch different episodes? Wait, I <laughs> right in that note, like what prison? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> did it involve cavemen? <laughs> did it... <laughs> Oh no! This, yeah, this is when Doc and Meglos have been captured. Uh huh. Meglos by, drink, drink. by the Mongols. <laughs> I hope that isn't offensive to refer to them as Mongols. It's just the outfit. Yeah. Apologies to all Mongol listeners out in podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so basically Doctor and Meglos are the only people that are captured at this point. Everyone else is, is on the same page with everything. Roman is now kind of calling the shots and leading everyone everywhere. Yeah. I think they all arrived on the TARDIS. Yeah, and there's a guard just stood around, and rather than K-9 just going up to him and zapping him, which like K-9 has done a hundred times before, K-9 goes past to be a distraction, then Diedrix comes and smacks the guard on the back of the head with a rock, which oh, doesn't right. do a lot. The guard just turns around and goes, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and then K9 zaps him. <laughs> I think I was probably penning uh, a note at the time. I've completely missed this. Yeah. I've also not n- I didn't notice the the black dude at all. Yeah, it was only cuz he was he was quite prominently in shot and then I thought, okay, is this going to be their tokenism? And it was in a way, but it was really bad tokenism because he literally doesn't say anything. Like none of their crew say anything as far as I'm aware. It's just the general and, and the lieutenant. What is the general called? Grogger? Grogger or Gugger? Grogger is what I have written down. Okay, that's probably it then. Grogger and Rotterdam. <laughs> Rotterdam. 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 <laughs> oh dear. Oh, I, I hate them so much. <laughs> oh, I love them so much. <laughs> So I had another question like, to start us off with, uh, ironically about paradoxically about the, the very end of this, but I think it's so far over the course of this review, I think I may have formed a theory, and I don't know if it's true. But my question for you was going to be, now that the dodecahedron has been taken away from Tigella, and it is back on <laughs> Zarathustra, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called now, and yeah. it's blown up, isn't everyone on Tigella going to die now? Because they were using yeah, its power to stay alive. That's- that's a very good point, yes. But I think, as I said, I think I may have formed a theory about this as well. Okay. Okay, I'll run this theory by you. Tell me tell me if this makes any sense. The Doctor, when he shows up on the planets, he's like, oh, wow, it's, there's way more foliage than there used to be. Like, there's, there's just crazy amounts of plant life that he doesn't remember. The planet Zarathustra used to be... I know that's not the name. The planet Zarathustra used to be a green, like this rich, verdant planet is now just a desert. And the principal actor, the last of the Zarathustrans, is a cactus. Do you think that it's because the uh, dodecahedron is now on Tigella that plant life is flourishing, and that the only reason that they needed to wield its power in some way, or like to modulate its power, was to keep the plant life at bay? And because it's now no longer on the planet, they are now in fact saved. I don't know. Which planet did they end on? Do they go back to Tigella? Yeah. They do. Because they're, they're on 
on the surface basically just hacking plants left, right, center, aren't they? I think yeah, that's Tigella. They've just decided to try and live on the surface. I think so. I think they were... Go for it. The, the female silver bull cut lady. Oh, man, I love a species with matching haircuts. <laughs> it, it really, it, it does something for me. <laughs> Lexa? I think she might be called. No. I, I don't know, but I mean... No, that's the that's religious lady. Karis. Oh, yeah, I think, I think I might have a thing for Karis. <laughs> 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 I think you could probably find that wig in most uh, cos- cosplay shops. <laughs> I know, I'm going to be Amazoning it after this review. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think she's been going on about it for a while that they should just be living on the surface. And Yeah, haven't yeah, they maybe- been pushed? Uh, oh, sorry, I'm cutting you off again, but have, haven't they been forced underground by the plant life? Yes. But I, th- I think, has she been arguing, well, it's just plants, like how bad can it be? Maybe, maybe they haven't been up to the surface for a very long time. I'm not sure. Yeah, but like, What's the big deal? Hack away some of the trees, build a wall around... I'm really sorry to say build a wall, especially in these times. Like, build build a wall around your society so that the monstrous murdering bell plants or bell flowers or whatever they're called, the bell ends, can't get in. Yeah. And then, you know, you're just walking dead it. You just live inside those walls and the plant zombies are outside. Problem solved. It does seem pretty straightforward, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this isn't Seeds of Doom style um, Cthulhu type plants. It's yeah, exactly. Just... What's the freaking, what's the big freaking deal? Yeah, I mean. They have they gods that like... stand outside the doors, by the way. The gods aren't like on a wall or inside of the enclosure. They are standing outside of the wall. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, so they do. They're, they're fully aware of what's going on, on the surface. Mm. I take that back. Yeah, because the plants attack Romana. And I was very pleased to see that Romana just escaped from that of her own. She didn't need to be rescued. Yeah. That was a big thumbs up. Yeah. She then has a wonderful moment of highlighting how stupid the pirates are and they do a run around on the planet and it's like oh because the planet's going anti-clockwise you know we <laughs> I loved that I loved like, that I love Romana doing that I hate that it's possible <laughs> <laughs> How people that stupid as our like um, villains of the week, but yeah. So she then lures the Gaztex, whatever the pirates, yeah, into Gaztex. The is that their name? Oh, I've, I've written it down somewhere. I don't. I don't remember hearing it. Yeah, okay. Gaztac. Gaztac. Gaztax. Okay. Yeah, and they all escape. I don't think anyone gets killed by a plant or even slightly injured by a plant. <laughs> well, the 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 Gaztax, the pi- <laughs> the gas ta- gas tanks, they're, <laughs> they're being attacked by a bellend. Is that the scene that you're thinking of? Yeah, but. Uh, like, Okay. You, you see some vines flying around. Oh, you're right. And then they survive. They show up at the end. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they all just wander off. I mean, they um, die at the end when the planet explodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the plants aren't portrayed as particularly dangerous. Like, they should be wiping out people left, right, and center for you to be going, well, oh, we cannot possibly live on the surface, yeah, guys. Yeah, we have to live on it. We have to move our entire civilization yeah. into a bunker. We have to dig a big fuck-off hole. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just stay away from the dandelions, man. Get, uh, get in the hole. <laughs> But maybe there are other kinds of plants out there. Maybe there are like triffids and things. And by the way, are these all of the Tigellans that are still alive? Because there aren't that many of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're like 30 people. 15 I mean, of them generally. are religious zealots. <laughs> 15 are really into consoles. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and by the way, the matching haircuts, they're only representative of the uh, the savants. Yes. So that's a haircut that they have chosen. That's not actually yeah. a species, you know, it's identifier. <laughs> and what's his face? Sasta, he doesn't have that haircut. No, I noted that as well. But then we see that, yeah, because I think the first thing we see is the savants. And yeah. then Zasta comes in and is like, wait, you don't have the same haircut? Who the hell are you? <laughs> 
A bloody interloper is what he is. Yeah. But do you think do you think it's intentional that he's meant to look a bit because he's he's silver haired because he's obviously old as well. But yeah, is he meant to look a bit like a savant and a bit like one of the Dion's? Because oh, he's I the, love that. That's a super good reading. Person. I think you're he wears uh, robes, doesn't he? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. He but yeah, why? exactly. He's like, like an elder. How does this how does a society get like that? It's just give us some kind of explanation. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. That's missing. I will grant you that. That's absolutely missing from this <laughs> <laughs> but I have a counter argument for you and it's a counter argument that is proven very successful in these times fake news man it is incredibly good <laughs> oh god <laughs> You know, that, that phrase is now out there. You said that. It's recorded. It's going to be on this podcast forever. You've quoted that fucking horrible term. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, but but also, let the record show that I'm doing so sarcastically because it is just a revolting symptom of what we've turned into as a society. <laughs> Can I just cycle back to the bell plants? Yes, of course. I love them. They are incredible. The prop itself is wonderful. I love that there's this <laughs> this tulip that just munches on people. I love that they have tendrils because a hot and b super efficient, man. I thought at a moment for a moment that they were going to open up their leaves and be, you know, just gigantic munching, uh, you know, carnivorous plants, but sort of vagina-shaped <laughs> carnivorous plants. But are they not great? In fact, I really want to talk about production value in this episode. Yeah, I, I thought they were pretty awesome. I think the jungle set in general. Right? Gorgeous. Yes. Very dense. Very dense. They're, they're doing something new with the sky. Oh, okay. I feel like the sky really, really, like it looks like it's far away, as opposed to just, you know, a matte painting behind three layers of trees. Right, okay. It's very nicely done, I thought. In fact, all of the exterior shots are, are incredible. The exterior shots on Zarathustra are freaking gorgeous. See, I don't know. I was in a little bit two minds with this. Like, I'm, I'm always having to put my brain a little bit into, well, it's this is 1980. Yep. Okay, judge it, judge it for what was available then. So in that term, I thought the miniature work was gorgeous. I agree. And the, like the raising of the, the kind of Megalos's laboratory or whatever. I really liked that shot and was slightly annoyed that the, the uh, how do you fix the dodecahedron into your machinery? Oh, you plonk it on top and then we raise up the thing again. <laughs> <laughs> it had a nice sort of cup holder. It had like a dodecahedron shaped or half a dodecahedron shaped cup holder that it like snugly fit into which I don't fully understand because it was a difference. He had deliberately shrunken it and then presumably it changes its size again to fill that cup holder perfectly. Right. At the oh, end yeah. it's way bigger than, you know, it, it wouldn't fit in yeah. the palm of your hand. No, true. It's gone. I guess it's gone back to the size it was when it was in the Tigellan possession. Oh yeah, that's true. No, no. It's, it's hard to, yeah, because it's on top of that and that complex isn't small like it's it's a fairly large room and it looks incredible it looks yeah. freaking amazing and those scenes i mean so we get the exterior shots when the pirates first arrive on zarathustra and we have the the beautiful miniature shots i agree with you super duper beautiful miniature shots of the like the door of the spaceship opening we've got we get those whatever the shape is i can't remember how many sides those those weird walls are that are you think that they might be able to close down as sort of four lids on top of the yeah. basement camp but it, yeah so that's all miniature work and then they've superimposed green screen or blue screen or whatever shots of themselves exiting the spaceship and walking around and they're walking behind walls and like it's really layered it works and then I was absolutely blown away by the fact that later on we get to see that that ship is not a freaking miniature 
that's a set of the pirate ship yeah i mean at the very least the side of it is an actual prop full-size prop looks amazing that's true i think what i know it's 1980 but i think what i thought was a little bit naff was them walking amongst the miniature like the layering i did enjoy i thought that was quite impressive actually yeah i think there's a one point grugger whatever he's called Uh kind of has he put his hand up to one of the kind of he's like he's scratching it somehow yeah and you know that was done quite well it's like it felt like he was interacting but i i think there was an unfortunate fact of the miniatures weren't detailed enough to be used as a backdrop against full-size people so it made the people look miniature i agree that's true like they haven't really mastered the rotoscoping either so there's constantly a jagged edge around anyone who's green screened yeah against that miniature back- backdrop which I, I can forgive that i can see that as like a technological thing but i feel like you know they it, it's unfair because i've never done any of this stuff i have no idea how complicated <laughs> it is how expensive it is but if, you know if you want to put someone that close to something can't you make a, a slightly larger miniature rather than because I'm, I'm assuming the ones that they're filming that um, in motion and stuff are really small like you could fit on a desk sort of thing yeah you'd think so and but they could they could have done like a 120th scale thing that the kind of things that they did for lord of the rings is like you know you build a, a yeah. slightly bigger miniature and it looks better alongside uh, actors because there's more detail on it. anyway the... that's a, a harsh criticism i think <laughs> but it, it it just jarred with me a little bit but the fact that you said that there are shots in motion brings me to another point i was mega impressed by the fact that these are panning shots as in they are interacting with a green screen background in a moving shot it's tracked in some uh, to some degree and i thought i was like well how how is this done like nowadays you 3d track everything and you can plunk someone in in that environment no problem and i looked it up and this was i think the first time that the certainly the first time that the doctor who production team used this very early on in bbc history of this that they had an actual track so that the camera work would be identical so they filmed this once with actors on a track at a certain pace and then they mimicked the exact same track and the exact same pace for the shots of the miniatures and then they just put them together and that's how you get this very fluid motion of the two composites and i remember hearing about this in a behind the scenes video i think like after the movie jurassic park on the vhs copy i had as a kid where spielberg goes like how am i gonna do like the cgi work and blah 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 i was like no actually they told me i could do this 3d track thing or like a, a track thing physically with the camera work and i'd do the same thing then digitally in that case not with miniatures but still this, this is what jurassic park is like 93 92 93 or something like that yeah this is 1980 on television and it's being done and it, i'm blown away i'm really impressed by that yeah no, that was pretty impressive work hmm. you know what i wasn't impressed by in that same shot though the very beginning when they exit the spaceship they're on zarathustra they're walking towards the whatever the, the basement camp and they're holding <laughs> the accountant like there are two gods holding the accountant and one of them trips oh <laughs> and he's like oh, oh fuck oh, what am I going to do <laughs> and they still kept the shot and I love that <laughs> I'm both unimpressed and incredibly pleased <laughs> Maybe they thought it was a nod to the uh, the time loop that has Doc tripping. Oh, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Shall we talk time loop? Okay. What's your opinion? I kind of liked the idea, actually. Okay. The the thing that bugged me the most is that it meant there's literally, maybe not quite an episode and a half, where Doc and Romana are just in the TARDIS and mostly just in the time loop. Yep. So it feels like they probably recorded for a couple of hours <laughs> and then stuffed that into an episode and a half. 
half of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think you're onto something there. I wonder if something was going on behind the scenes that motivated writing their interactions into just an afternoon. Yeah. Because one of my notes is like that the chemistry between... Because the chemistry between Doc and Romana is different in this one than it normally is. They don't seem to mesh as much. They're kind of... Doc in particular is quite grumpy. They're not having mm-hmm. as much fun together on, on set. And this is during their relationship, right? And so I'm, I, I wonder if maybe this is indicative of their relationship having taken a turn. You know, they're, they're not happy to act together. Interesting. In the sense that the, the relationship is probably okay, but the chemistry changes when you're a couple, or that the relationship might not be okay. I think their relationship was not okay. Uh, I mean, okay. I mean, what I what I heard, or what I read, or, you know what, maybe I didn't read this somewhere. Maybe this is, uh, sorry, maybe I technically did read this somewhere, but maybe this is something that was brought up in a past Listener Mini, in fact, that they had a very turbulent relationship off screen, and uh, they're still acting together on screen, and consequently that translates into the chemistry of the characters as opposed to, you know, the actors. Because aside from that time loop, and by the way, we need to get back to the time loop. I'll I'll get back to that in a second. I'll cycle back in a second. But aside from that time loop interaction, all of their actions are separate. And when they are separated, I love both of them. Romana is fantastic on her own. I love her interactions with the pirates. I love her interactions with K-9, yada, yada, yada. And Doc is wonderful. He's his own doctor self. He's quite jovial towards the end when he's interacting with himself, for example, or with, you know, fake Garen and Anstoff. But when he's with her, he's a grump. Hmm. Interesting observation. I think I'd probably agree. I think um, I think we need to dial back to Romana and Doc to elaborate. And also on the fact that Tom Baker is not just playing the Doctor in this serial. Oh, that's true. So that's that's but three pins. Wait, four pins, because pin. we also have, we still need to wrap up the time loop. But yeah, yeah. do you want to carry on with the time loop? Okay, so... Wait, hang on. Do you want to carry on with the time loop? <laughs> Wait, hang on. Do you want to carry on with the time loop? Oh, wait. I know how to get out of this time loop. Okay, so first off, okay, here, are, here are my two beefs. I think I only have two beefs with the time loop. No, no, I have three beefs with the time loop. A, there's a time loop, question mark, exclamation point, and whatever the symbol for what the fuck is. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why do they have that? Te- why does the cactus have the technology to create a time loop? That's ridiculous. Point number two, the period of time that they have at their disposal to interact between loops differs constantly. In the beginning, yeah. we only have like, oh, they only have, you know, five seconds or something. Enough time to go, wait, we've experienced this before. And then three or four loops later, they're having a proper conversation. They're walking around the, the TARDIS console. They're like they're figuring out a plan. What's that about, you know? Yeah, my first note, other than the fact that we've got a minute and a half of the previous episode at the start of episode two is, oh, isn't it handier they get a minute at the end of the loop to discuss everything? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah why is it a minute then, but five seconds the first time? Yeah. So that, no, that bugs right. me. And the other thing that bugs me is, so this is an inescapable time loop the what was it called again the uh, chronic hyster hysteretic that's the one <laughs> people are like they know about it when they first identify it as oh it must be this like oh i hope it's not that like, why would it be that man like it could be anything but they identify it as that they go we are stuck in it forever but it seems like it's incredibly easy to get out of it like has no one ever thought of this before that seems ridiculous to me well it's apparently very easy to get out of it yeah if you live in a universe where the laws of physics are such that you can just act something and it's true Yes, exactly. That seems very childish to me. That that's that's child logic. Yeah. In the same serial in which someone is about to be squashed between two giant rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
no, I absolutely hated like whole whole point coming off my score. Hated the fact that they get out the time loop by just going through the motions of their actions stuck in the time loop. Yeah, that's just so much bullshit. I wonder if that kind of time loop is more interesting when there are more actors involved. I had a look around for other sci-fi movies or TV shows that have time loops just to see if there's some kind of parallel that we can draw. And, and there are obviously there are a bunch of them, but in TV land, I could only think of three, or I could only find three. One is Remedial Chaos Theory from Community, arguably one of the one of the best episodes of Community. It, it almost... Oh, yeah, okay, hang on. Fun fact, Remedial Chaos Theory was nominated for a... What's what's the the sci-fi award? It's not a Saturn award, it's a... Whatever it is. It, 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 was, it was nominated for this prestigious sci-fi award and lost to an episode of Doctor Who. Uh-huh. I feel like I've brought this up on Doctor on, on Who Back When before. It, it lost to the episode The Doctor's Wife. Doctor's the Wife. Neil Gaiman one. Yeah, they call the Doctor wife you know what i mean yeah i think it might be called the doctor's wife yeah so it lost to that one Mm. this is no remedial chaos theory this is also no cause and effect from tng and it's no monday from x files but what those have in common is there are lots of actors involved in it so it makes sense for two people two or more people to notice this kind of loop in everyone else but when you only have two people on set, I'm not counting K9, because K9 was just soundbited in and then didn't get an, a single line in the entire serial, then the loop effect loses all of its gravitas. Yeah. I feel like I, I don't know most of those references or any of those references, to be honest. Mm. But is this portrayal probably different? Because the likes of, say, Groundhog Day or yeah. you mentioned before recording Russian Doll. Russian Doll, yeah. They, oh, that's TV as they, well. They have a loop, but they it's more like there's a reset point. Um, yeah, well, you had action. a reset point here as well. Yeah, but but the actions in between aren't looped. Some of them are. In Groundhog Day, the, um, you know, Needle Nose Ned always shows up. But you can you can change everything in between. Whereas it seems to me in this situation, Dockerman had to do the first like two minutes of their loop. Then they got a brief window afterwards where they were like, "Oh my god, this is a loop." Yeah, is that that's right? true. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Which I feel like most other things don't portray it that way. Like you have a greater awareness at the start that you've done this before, and you start changing your behavior immediately but I, I don't know all those other references but yeah which I think is an in- interesting concept I just feel like the way they got out of it was naff and I, I, I it did actually piss me off that in the loop Doc trips it's like oh how do we make it really obvious that people have seen this before we'll have him trip it's like no just just repeat some dialogue people aren't stupid <laughs> <laughs> but then when they repeat their dialogue and he fake trips it it's obviously completely different so are the laws of the cosmos saying okay as long as you fake trip and Romana puts her elbow on K9 and someone wiggles K9's tail that resets time. Apparently so. Yeah, that's that's yeah. shit. I mean, that's absolute their, shit. Their recreation of the events is worse than what we could probably do right now. We could probably mimic their recreation better than they did in the in uh, that situation. Yeah, I would say so. Most likely. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the like, we're in the wrong game, dude. We should be actors. This is <laughs> it's super easy. <laughs> But of course, and I will forever fight for that right. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck that was. (laughs) BBC, did you hear that? That's pretty good stuff. But the, the thing that really, really bugged me was the fact that, you know, I'm pretty sure they only do it once and they break out of it. And, yeah, it's the the tail wagging bit. Like, Romana's, it's like they're acting. Like, Romana's going, no, 
no, Doc, this is your line. This is your line. Look, yeah. I've, I've got a wag of a tail. Your line. How can that be? Like, do I ever have to get it perfect or something? Like, if it was, you had to recreate it perfectly, and they were there another 20 attempts, and it's like, shit, no, I did that line at, like, half a millisecond too late. I might have been on board a bit then. Like, it would have been really boring to watch, but at least that would have been slightly more, like, believable. I don't know. Their, their portrayal was just so off the mark. It's like, well, how has anything fooled into breaking the time loop from that? Yeah, I one bajillion percent agree with you. <laughs> anyway, let me get, get my anger levels back down. Okay, okay. Calm, calm. <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring up something that I loved. Um, maybe that'll bring a, a new wave of positivity to this review. Okay. The doc making a guard fake hold up the wall in order to escape. Wait, when? What? <laughs> so in, in part four, the doctor has, he's just witnessed. Oh, yes fake doctor exit without his coat on. And by the way, I, that took me threw me for a loop as well, because I assumed that Doc would not see that. He would enter wearing his coat, and that would be the trigger that tells them apart. Or at the very least, it's what allows us, the audience, to tell them apart. But so he's still wearing his coat. A guard walks up to him from behind. You think he's going to be arrested or killed or whatever. But I love that scene where he just goes like, can you hold up this wall? The wall is clearly just stable. Like, just Put your hands on the wall. <laughs> then he walks away. <laughs> Loved it. It's so good. I, I did like that. Thank <laughs> <But> you. <laughs> <laughs> what bothered me was the fact that the guard walks up to him and like puts his out his hand on um Doc's back as if he's like trying to arrest him. But at, at this point, that guard has no reason to believe that's not Meglos. That's true. This is before Gruger is turned on Meglos. This is before anyone knows that Doc's on the planet and the guard is looking to accost Meglos, which just didn't make sense. I think he's walking up to him, putting his uh, hand on Meglos, quote unquote, Meglos's back because he wants to bomb a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Uh, bro, we're, we're both outside here, right? I mean, what can I do? I mean, this whole place is basically one gigantic pl planet-sized ashtray. It's okay if I have a smoke, right? <laughs> I think that's what it is. And the Megalos turns around and says, dude, I used to be a plant. <laughs> Stop smoking plants. <laughs> what were the other pins that we put down? I think it's the Romana and Doc slash Tom Baker. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, Baker versus Baker. Yeah. Go for it. That, well, that to me is the best thing in this serial and because I didn't enjoy the serial as a whole, the saddest thing, because I really like Megalos. I like the idea of Megalos. I know, me too. Tom Baker as Megalos was amazing. Yes. Tom Baker is a good bad right. guy. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can't recall seeing oh, Tom. I have like four Megaloses to drink for, sorry. <laughs> I feel like when we're talking about Megalos, you're you're free to ignore the rules. <laughs> okay, good. Oh god, so... I hate tequila. <laughs> <laughs> have, have we seen Tom Baker playing a villain in Doctor Who? Yes, we have. Oh, okay, in uh, the face of evil, ah, Tom yes. Baker's face is used as the the avatar for the. Um, you always remember the name of of these guys. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> what are they called? Uh, Sevateam. Oh, yes. Maybe Sevateam are the others, actually. Sevateam uh, are the... The tech, something to do with tech, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the technicians. 
Yes, you're right. Mongol way, yeah. Exactly. So that's that's the only time that we've seen, as, I, as far as I can recall anyway, the only time that we've seen him portray a bad guy in Doctor Who. But he does a great job, I agree with you. He's fantastic. Yeah. Do you think um, there was a missed opportunity there as well? Because they don't interact with each other that much. I don't know. I'm not always like that enamored by the, the kind of doppelganger thing when they meet each other. I like the idea of the duplicity and like people getting confused about who's who. Yeah. That generally always plays out well, quite well. And I think it played out fairly well in this, actually. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit of laboring the point, I think, when Doc turns up and the Dodecahedron's just been stolen by Megalos as Doc. And yeah, yeah. that didn't quite run as smoothly as maybe it could have done the writing a bit tighter. But for the most part, yeah, I kind of like that doppelganger side of the storyline. Yeah, I don't know if I was really missing. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't different. know if I was missing it either. I, I, I think this could have... Yeah, well, no, I'll take it back before I even say it. If we had had more interactions between them, I don't want to lose anything else that we had in its place. So it would necessitate this being a longer serial, and I I don't need this to be a six-parter. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, Doctor as Doctor is not the biggest role in this serial, but that, that was really good as well. Yeah. And as I said, I think he's super jovial when he is himself. Like he feels yeah. very doctory when he shows up the first uh, for him the first time. Yes. It's about like Tom Baker's Doctor more so than maybe some of the previous serials have done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah true. And moving on to Romana, I don't know if you've got more... Baker talk? No, I'm 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 uh, I'm baked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, frankly, the exact same logic applied to Tom Baker can also be applied to Romana, or the same just uh, justification can be applied to Romana. She was passionless in the scenes during the loop. They both were, but when she was on her own, I loved her to bits. Yeah, I don't think I I had as much an issue with the loop stuff as you did, but I I think you make a fair point with that. But yeah, I I definitely enjoyed the way she held herself and drove the storyline um, yeah. through a lot of the serial actually. She did what the companion, in my mind, is mostly to do in these kind of situations where Doc and the companion are separated, which is steer the other, like, people of the week yeah. into the path of the, doc- of the Doctor again, you know, and yeah. bring, bring, bring story threads to a head, you know. And yeah, that all worked well, and she had lots of good things to do and interactions with the, the pirates, which, like I said, I didn't really enjoy the fact that the pirates were that stupid, but I definitely Loved enjoyed it. how <laughs> Romana dealt with them. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. She also saves K-9, which is great. That's true. Yeah. Good stuff. So you mentioned K9 just being sound bitten. <laughs> <laughs> is John Neeson not on board to record this? Because he does, he does no, no, have more lines. He doesn't have that many lines is what I meant. Like He says master on a number of occasions. Mm. to the doctor and i reacted to him just saying master rather than master yes i can go and do a and b you know it was just like doc tells k9 do this please and he just goes master and then he goes elsewhere and that feels like you just you got john leeson to record the word master and you got john leeson to record the all systems functioning well or what it is he says but aside from that he has no tangible contribution the character of k9 does do stuff but there's no dialogue. Yeah, there's not really interaction, I guess, is the thing, yeah. Yeah, he does lots of stuff. I mean, he, he fires a laser and he blows a hole in the wall, or, like, he cuts a hole in the wall. And Yeah, I mean, K-9 is ever-present, but he has no agency. I just felt like John Leeson had the week off, you know. Well, I don't quite understand how John Leeson's back. They, they just, um... I wasn't really expecting John Leeson coming back at this this point. Didn't we have John Leeson the last time? I've forgotten, now. <laughs> I think on Brighton Beach, before... Before K9's head exploded, I think that was. Didn't we both react like, oh, John Leeson's back? Oh, he's exploded. Uh, okay. I just have a, a short memory then. <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess maybe I thought maybe because that was such a small scene that could have all been pre-recorded stuff. Yeah, also true. Oh my goodness, did you see, sorry, to loop back to that scene on Brighton Beach, did you uh, did you see the comment that we got? I can't remember oh, yes. if this is on the website or on Facebook, but you would... Twitter, actually. Oh, Twitter, sorry. Yeah, you were totally right. <laughs> yeah. That was just Tom Baker's oh. coat stuffed on Brighton Beach. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Andy Parkinson, for that bit of trivia. Yes, thank you very much, Andy. That was awesome. Genuinely very happy to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, while we're into random facts coming from the real world, the day that this episode has made it to your earballs oh, yes, you should be the 18th of October, which will be the 40th anniversary of this episode of Megalos. <gasps> oh my goodness, that is incredible. Everyone drink some tequila. <laughs> I'll just drink a bit. Oh, of God, it's terrible. <laughs> That is fantastic. Isn't that? Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Like arbitrary calendar chain points, but hey, you know, it, it's cool. It, that's not just cool. That is fate. That is fate. <laughs> kismet. <laughs> <laughs> there was one other thing which felt like incredibly underdeveloped. Uh-huh. I, we could probably just like have a one-word answer to this. but <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Did you think there was going to be a hell of a lot more about the fact that there are screams on the planet Zolfathura? I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quick. Okay, move on. <laughs> what were those screams meant to? Is that just the wind? What is that? I have no idea. I, I don't recall that being explained. I Because I thought when Megalos gets the dodecahedron back, he was going to use it to like revive his species or something. Yeah, exactly. But no, just turns it around into a planet laser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, same thing in Star Wars, by the way. The the Death Star was originally just a greenhouse, and it was. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the T-shirt already. <laughs> Design it. You're a, fa- a fantastic designer. Design that T-shirt. We'll sell millions of them. <laughs> Yeah, I genuinely now am putting some credence to my possibly entirely shit theory of before that the fact that the the dodecahedron is back on Zarathustra means that henceforth plant life will flourish on that planet. So even if they use it as a weapon, yeah, whatever, fine, doesn't matter. There there are now going to be you know carnivorous vagina tulips all over the place. Okay, I, I yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the first of my last two notes as well. When did Romana and why did Romana change her clothes? The why I would give you because she was still in her beach attire. Oh, is that what it was? You're right. Yeah. While they're in the TARDIS, she's still... Yeah, it's like it's continued completely from Brighton Beach. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Wait, is that what she was wearing throughout the entire last uh, serial? Yeah, I think so. It is. Oh, I'm looking at a screenshot on whobackwhen.com. Just plugging the website. You're right. So, yeah, she's not she's not in holiday mode anymore. But they're in a rush. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's too quick for fashion. (laughs) Unless it's like one of those, yes, we can get out of this horrible, allegedly inescapable time loop, but as a consequence, we're also going to shit ourselves. We're going to have to change our clothes. (laughs) (laughs) I like her outfit at the end, by the way, or throughout the rest of the serial. Yeah, with um, big frilly sleeve things. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's officially what they're known as. (laughs) It's as though Pertwee's doctor and the prince from season two of Blackadder had a transporter accident. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
guess the only other, other thing, which we basically don't know anything about yet, but this ends before the horrible accountant wife joke. Yeah. With Romana coming out of the TARDIS saying, Garfrey's on the blower. That was going to be my next point as well. Yeah. The, there's like an important thing we've got to get back to. Come on. Hop on board, Doc. Off we goes. That's right. And it, that feeds into a piece of trivia that I've got here, namely that following this serial and up until the episode Four to Doomsday, which is, it's the, it's the second Davison episode. Everything is one massive arc. It's Wait, one story arc. All of, all of what? Up to what? We're currently on Megloss Season 18. Then we have Full Circle, State of Decay, Warrior's Gate, Keeper of the Trakin, Logopolis, which is the regeneration episode. And Castrovalva is the first Fifth Doctor episode, which mm. presumably... So, I'm guessing, I don't remember, I'm pretty sure that I have seen either Logopolis or Castrovalva. I, 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 maybe I'm wrong about that, I feel like I've seen that. But presumably those two are one story. Like, it's as in the season ends on a cliffhanger in a way. So that the episode that follows that, Four to Doomsday, is then once again a one-off episode. Meaning the rest of season 18 and the first episode of season 19 are one story arc. So well, by that logic, and I'm basing this solely on that one piece of trivia from Todd's Wikia, but by that logic, there is a story arc that will have a cliffhanger right before the end, and the wait for the resolution of that cliffhanger is the entire duration between seasons. Blimey. And to put that in context, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's not true, but I mean, this is based on freaking Todd's Wikia, right? So based on the dates, Logopolis ends the 21st of March, 1981. Castrovalva begins on the 4th of January, 1982. Nearly a whole year. Yeah. So, and I mean, according to TARDIS Wikia, that's one story arc. It's a story arc that has like a nine month gap right before the conclusion. Wow. That's going to suck in real time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank goodness that we are doing this on a bi-weekly basis. (laughs) (laughs) How would you feel about rating this episode? Um, I felt awesome about that. Although, uh-huh. do we want this to be the only episode where I don't talk about cliffhangers? <gasps> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, you're so right! Go for it. <laughs> I'll do this very quickly in the uh, the style of British game show Bullseye. In <laughs> one. <laughs> We've got, holy fuck, Megloss has made himself look like the dog. Excellent cliffhanger. Excellent cliffhanger. Doesn't need a resolution. It's a perfect cliffhanger. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> in two episode two we've got <laughs> lieutenant shitty actor um <laughs> she's seen too much kill her oh yes <laughs> uh the resolution of the general turns up and they don't kill her <laughs> <laughs> terrible cliffhanger <laughs> okay all right so one for one all right <laughs> and bully's special prize <laughs> I hope someone is getting this reference. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they translate overseas. So the tiebreaker, what's the uh, third cliffhanger? Is, Doc is going to get crushed. Oh, look, everyone runs in and saves him. Doc doesn't get crushed. <laughs> Mediocre. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, so close. Did you not like the tension in that scene, though? That I, I, I've just written in all caps, stop talking and move him out of there. <laughs> That is a lovely moment where they're like, oh, I can't forget the interplay, but but Doc gets the line of, would somebody please say yes? And like, <laughs> like end this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on that note, shall we rate this? Holy fuck yes. <laughs>
And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings. Where shall we start? How about we start with some nice things? Um, I enjoyed Tom Baker playing the villain. As we established, this doesn't happen very often, and I think he's well suited to it. I think he probably enjoys it, and I think he probably makes it a lot a better villain than most of the actors who normally play the villains in Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite an interesting idea. Actually, you've spent time and money like. To to make your main actor like the best actor you can have for the show and then sometimes the villain doesn't really live up to that level <laughs> so True. You know, it's kind of interesting to put that same actor as the villain um, and i think it paid off and i think the character of megalos I'm going to say himself, because he's always voiced by a man, is pretty great as well. Like, it, not just the betrayal from Tom Baker, the just the concept of there's a plant with intelligence that can control technology. I, like, controlling time maybe was a little bit far-fetched, but I don't know. There's a lot of interesting ideas there, most of them not fully explored, unfortunately. But that is by far the most interesting part of this serial. Like, it's the namesake of the serial, so it bloody well should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I... I enjoyed when Megalos was running the show and how the story unfolded through that character development and well not character development character portrayal I suppose and alongside that you know Romana and Docker's characters were on good form as well I think they were living up to the the kind of template we expect for those particular people that I've mentioned before I've I've certainly felt that the fourth doctor has wavered a bit from what we understood that character to be at times and I definitely note it and enjoy it a lot more when Tom Baker gets to play the fourth doctor as Tom Baker's fourth doctor and this seemed to be that today yeah and Romana too, I, you know, likewise, we know that she's capable of doing awesome things. She's a time lord, time lady. She's incredibly intelligent. She's incredibly resourceful. And I think a lot of that came out through the storyline, which is awesome. But on the flip side, <laughs> the Gaztac, whatever the fuck they're called, the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they're probably reaching for something which is exactly what they're portrayed as. I just didn't enjoy it. Like, to me, they weren't funny. They were just 2D thing characters with no personality they're there to like enact Megalos's plan they're there to be the butt of jokes which don't land very well and I didn't really enjoy any of the time they were on the screen which you know is is the negative side of Megalos's part of this storyline as well is that he's teamed up with these fucking pirates who I hate so much <laughs> <laughs> and on the flip side of that, we've got the Ty Gellan Society. Does his makeup of super, super zealot scientists and super, super zealot religious folk. And I just don't think there's enough exploration or explanation for how that society has come to be that way and how it exists in that way. Like one guy called Zaster, who is a bit of a doddering old fool, does not mesh those two worlds together. Like they should basically be at war the entire time, the way that they are so held to their beliefs in, in the various camps. And they have obviously technology at their command that they do have an understanding of. So why are they still sacrificing people? Why are they, you know, basically allowing that kind of makeup in their society to exist? And it's just not good enough explanation. And so I ultimately don't really care about them. I just write them off as shit. Obviously not helped when the, <laughs> the guy that's trying to make you feel both sides of the struggle in their society is played by the worst actor we've seen for a long time. <laughs> oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it is a mixed bag, but by far there are more rotten apples than nice tasty ones in this for me. Um, I originally wrote down a 1.6. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. You have, 
talked me up slightly. <laughs> but not much. Okay. I'm going to give it a 1.9. Oh, wow. All right. Oh, oh no. On. Bring on your 4.5. <laughs> <laughs> 1.6 are you kidding me that you would even consider it ah okay <laughs> okay so i want to start off by saying that both doc and romana they get bonus points as far as i'm concerned despite the fact that i have ripped their loop performance to shreds because a they are incredibly good on their own as i've said but b because i kind of sympathize with them they're doing the best of a i'm assuming this i'm not getting this from gossip columns but it seems like they're doing the best of a difficult situation no one wants to act with their ex or their ex to be you know i loved the pirates particularly rotterdam I loved the schlock. I'm sorry, I'm just going to bullet point this. I loved the production value, in particular the outdoor scenes, the sky. We get to see a planet in, or maybe a moon in the sky at one point, which is also clearly a prop, which gives this it, this really B-movie quality of, wow, it's awesome, it's real, but also, as you move the camera, the moon should not move in the shot, because it's pretty far away. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand any of the backstory on, uh, what's it called, Nigella, but I'm fine with that. I loved seeing Babs again. Rest in peace, Jacqueline Hill. In fact, here, I'll drink some tequila just for you. I loved Meglos. More tequila. The, the, the outfit or the outfits of Meglos were great. From the, <laughs> just the cactus, which was like an inflatable cactus, <laughs> which is fantastic that they deflate it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, by the way, the fact that the pirates have to just pick up this fake cactus and put it inside the box, like, that's the only reason they're there really <laughs> like the, they've brought him a human that's it <laughs> to dr meglos great to the bit of snot that looks like the dude in the in the lighthouse what was that called again you know what i mean fang what? rock fang rock fang? yes thank you yeah. absolutely the horror of that fang rock and i loved the dueling doctors not since enemy of the world have we had a scenario in which the the actor playing the doctor is facing a foe played by the same actor. And by the way, I would like to take this opportunity to say that Enemy of the World starred Patrick Troughton, just like the moon base did, and I apologize. Everyone, stop telling me this. <laughs> I know the moon base didn't star William Hartnell. Fuck it, I'm only human, okay? <laughs> Minus points to Megloss only for a few things. <laughs> First off, for the fact that none of this shit makes one lick of sense. <laughs> and also... For the fact that the time loop even existed. The time loop that acted as the perineum of the serial in that it connected the butthole of their failing off-screen romance with the gargantuan, throbbing member of the entire rest of this story. Wow, that's an image. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to point out that I also have changed my score. Before we pressed record, I had written down 3.9. <laughs> wow, okay. And we have... I mean, you've, you've pointed out a lot of negatives with this, with this serial. And, and I, I have to concede there are so many negatives about this serial. And for that reason, I am just in blatant defiance going to tell you that you have managed to talk me up further. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> and thus, I am giving Megloss... 4.1 guilty pleasures out of five vaginal murder tulips. 
<laughs> and I don't care that that scale doesn't make any sense. Neither does this cereal, and I love it. <laughs> hey, I'm not putting that down to me. I'm putting that down to tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Shall we see if um, Podcast Land agrees with either of us? <laughs> I think we better. <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Sweet buttery Moses, we have returned. We have arrived at the... Oh, wow, tequila. We have arrived at the listener mini section of this podcast episode. And we have no less than six listener minis. Wow, yeah, we've, got a, we've got a mega loss, mega load, mega loss. <laughs> no, I can't make a joke. Anyway, we've got a lot of them. <laughs> we, uh, we've got mega lots of them. <laughs> That's the joke. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, everyone who sent in a mini for this one. Indeed. First out of the gate, we've got Kirsten Doherty. Hello, Kirsten. Hello there, Kirsten. Kirsten starts. Oh, blast. Here we go again. This is one of those stories that I honestly would never watch again if it had another actor playing the Doctor. What? <laughs> she then starts with a list of likes. First like, evil Tom Baker is always fun. Agreed. Yup. Next like, the villain is a giant talking cactus. Agreed. <laughs> Huge like. And last like, last like, what? Last like is... Sadly, the two Toms and the bonkers idea of a giant talking cactus that can change into a human are the only entertaining thing in the story. Here's my friend that agrees with me. <laughs> I, I, oh, each to their own. You know, I'm going to go full Voltaire on this one. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have gathered from that short list of likes, there are some dislikes. That's the right. One being Barbara is back, but she's not Barbara or interesting. <laughs> That's true, but I choose to focus on the Barbara is back thing. Next, dislike. Romana gets attacked by pathetic and cheap-looking vegetation. Hmm. Megalos could have picked any humanoid in the entire universe, so why does he pick up an earthling from 1980 who looks like he was working at a bank? <laughs> As an accountant! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's both an agree and disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Next is like, unlike this last story, the makeup on Tom Baker was not very good. You can see he is clearly wearing gloves in many shots. You know what? I didn't actually notice that. <laughs> okay. I agree with the hands, but the face looks amazing, right? Yeah, I quite like the face. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fine. Yeah, the last dislike is I honestly didn't even care about anyone other than the Doctor, Romana, or K9. <laughs> And in conclusion, Kirsten says, knowing that Tom Baker was very ill while fi filming this story, oh, right, and pretty much the rest of the season, and still was excellent at playing two parts, I'm going to be very generous and give it a, oh, no, one out of five. Oh, oh no. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe I was completely wrong about the chemistry between Doc and Romana. Maybe it's just that he's under the weather. Maybe. Yeah. You know what? I, I did think he looked particularly skinny. I agree. Yes, you're right. I thought this as well. Which I guess will explain both things. Yeah. Uh, Kirsten, fantastic mini. Thank you so much. Even though, I mean, agree to disagree on your racing. Wow, we. Holy moly. <laughs> I totally agree to agree. Thank you very much, Kirsten. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we've got Peter Zunich. It's the Zunmeister. Hello there, Peter. Hello, Peter. Peter starts, what an incredibly awesome episode. Yes. Jacqueline Hill returns and is totally enchanting. 
We get a double dose of Tom. Zastor, Grogger, and Brotodak hold their own. Ramona once again proves she can outwit a band of brainless marauders. <laughs> the concept is original and inspiring. The dialogue is meaningful and thought-provoking. We get awesome pseudoscience. The sets are interesting. The costumes beautiful and makeup effects fantastic. The model composites are beautiful, wobbly takeoffs notwithstanding. We also get triffids, and any power source modeled after a D10 is okay in my RPG book. <laughs> oh yeah, Peter. <laughs> nice. On the other hand, carries on. Oh no. Peter. <laughs> oh Peter, don't fail me now. <laughs> what a crappy episode. <laughs> <laughs> It drags and drags, and when it doesn't, it drags. <laughs> we get an earthling, because why? Our villain is a cactus with a desk. Oh, yeah. And just what was his motivation again? We killed ourselves, so now I'm mad at everyone else? Is this the motivation they modeled Nero after in Star Trek? Oh. It's also sad that Megalos acts so much like the Doctor. You know, that guy he never met. And Dig Jock. Oh, and shit. Dig Jock just condemn a race to live on the surface of an inhospitable, violent plant world? Uh, see my pro uh, theory. <laughs> <laughs> Peter continues, it's major rewrite time. Mr. Prickles... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's really tickled me. Mr. Prickles, that's really prickled me. Mr. Prickles should just possess people using his mobile form to attack. Second, lose the irrelevant Earthling. Third, before blowing up, let the screens fire at the planet, carving away a good deal of plant life, saving the population. Fourth, Barbara kills Megloss. Fifth, any action, please. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, let us know what you really think, Peter. Yeah. I <laughs> joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter Duff conclude. Doppelganger, nay. I dub thee Fubar Ganger. <laughs> Next time, weed killer for all. 2.2. Oh, wow. <laughs> awesome stuff. Thank you very much, Peter. 2.2. Not a bad score for this, right? Sort of, that's it almost like... No, you know, it, I was going to say it's the average of our ratings, but it's not quite. But no, 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 it's, no. Like, it's so close to my rating. It's so far away from your rating. You're so right. <laughs> Peter, love it. Thank you very much. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Next up, we've got Andy Parkinson. Hello, Andy. Hello there, Andy. Andy's done his usual maxi and mini. Thank you maxi very much you for that. Find. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the maxi you can find on whobackwhen.com in the comments section. Indeed. The mini, the mini you will hear, oh my goodness, right about now. Yes, in real time, for your convenience. <laughs> <laughs> Andy starts. This story is based around scientific smarty pants savants, dodecahedron <laughs> devotees, the Deons, and a calculating cerebral cactus creature, Megalos, who plans to implant <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Zing. himself into Colin from accounting. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> who has been brought along by yet more bumbling space bandits. Um, loving the alliteration, and I think I managed to do it without stumbling. <laughs> yeah, fantastic work. Well done <laughs> also sorry to any accountants in podcast land <laughs> oh they you they're used to it like it's a requirement when you start in the industry you have to get a, a <laughs> 101 accounting at uni is you watch megloss <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
This is what everyone thinks you look like. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to Andy's review. Yes. Some of the model work and effects are brilliant. And although sometimes it's obvious it's CSO, I don't know what that stands for. I think they're possibly the best so far in Doctor Who. Composited screen overlay? Did you just look that up? No. Okay, hang on. Wait, I'm going to, I'm just looking it up now. CSO is the common acronym for a special effects procedure championed by producer Barry Letts during the John Pertwee era. I feel like we've had this acronym on in, in minis before, by the way. Color separation overlay. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically chroma keying something out. It's like green screening. Very yeah. cool. Uh, right. The mini continues. The chronic hysteresis is very similar to the time loop used in the Armageddon factor. Uh, yeah. With the, the Marshall. Oh, yeah. I assume that's the one. Yeah. Oh, I need to... You know what? I don't want to re-watch The Armageddon Factor anytime soon, but I want to re-listen to a review of it to get the gist of it. Brotodak is an, an anagram of bad actor. Mm-mm. A very tongue-in-cheek bit of fun at the show's expense, and in no way a slight against the actor playing him, Frederick Treves. Who deserves an Emmy for his performance? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> Next point. The Tigellan or Tigellan guards helmets are very reminiscent of those worn by Death Star gunners. You know what? I did think that they felt a little Darth Vadery without the front bit. Yes. Yes, I saw that as well. I think we only really saw it in one scene, clearly, though. But yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Anyway, uh, Colin slash Megalos <laughs> is very reminiscent of Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies. Oh, yeah, true. I watched that for the first time. Hellraiser 1. I watched that for the first time very recently. And then we get into some beefs. First, beef. when Colin slash Megalos transforms into the Doctor, where does the Doc's outfit come from? If he can transform into any form, why doesn't he just do that in the first place? I found the bigger question of what actually is the coat that he hands over. Is it just a piece of him? Or is it a piece of Colin? (laughs) Colin inside of Meglos is writhing because his side has been split off and is now being worn by Rotterdam. (laughs) (laughs) Next beef. Why does Meglos know about the Time Lords? And also, why does he know who the Doctor is? It's never explained. That's a super good point. (laughs) Next beef. The Bandits. Once again, they are utterly bloody useless. Is it too much to ask for some half-decent criminals? Uh, Yes, Andy, it's too much to ask. (laughs) (laughs) And what I believe is the final beef. Once again, Romana encounters some voracious vegetation. You'd think she would have learned her lesson by now. Oh, true. And he concludes, this is one of the more forgettable stories of the Tom Baker era. It's just a little bit too silly without enough humor to redeem it. Although there's some plus points, it's all a bit meh. And Andy awards this story 2.5 dodecahedrons out of 5. Thanks be to Ty. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Andy. Yeah, thanks be to you. Uh, (laughs) Awesome mini, awesome maxi. Thank you very much for that. People go to whobackwen.com and read the maxi for the full Andy experience. And head on over to Twitter as well. And please give Andy a high five from us. He can be found at Caffrey's 71. Perfectly in sync there. Ooh, awesome. Next up, who we uh, got? Uh, next up, we have got Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. <laughs> Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. My goodness, you're so big. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> 
Michael has given us some mini reactions this time around. For episode one, we have a like, the dumb Mad Max space pirate people. An uber like, the baddies of friggin' cactus. Oh my lords, this is amazing. Somebody please team this guy up with a giant shrimp. How did it build and operate its Bond villain underground base? So many questions. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Another like, the weird religious cult led by Barbara. <laughs> Her travels with a doctor must have driven her insane. <laughs> I love that idea that this is actually Babs. <laughs> and last note for episode one, crazy time loop trap thingy. Yep, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> episode two, we have just one like, the cacti doctor. <laughs> yes, huge like. Episode three, that is one brutal means of execution for a kid's TV show. Lucky that final piece of rope is flame proof. <laughs> <laughs> Damn lucky that one. And then on to episode four, we start with a beef. There was a great deal of build up around the whole taking off the coat that went absolutely nowhere. Surely there's a key scene on the cutting room floor. Another booth. Missed opportunity for a but which is the real doctor moment and some sneaky QA or riddles to identify fake cacti doc. Yes, that's true. That would that's that's a trope that would have fit in perfectly. I'd say I didn't miss it. I didn't really miss anyway. it either, but but yeah. now that he's mentioning it. Uh, next point for episode four, the cacti slivers. And last point, so rubbish it's good. Comedy final lines. There could be a dark side, of course. We laugh. But the business dude's wife could be a vicious husband beater. Megloss could have inadvertently rescued him from a life of domestic violence. Oh, wow. That is one dark reading yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah, way to, to bring the tone down, Michael. How, how do we... <laughs> Talk lightly about this now. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. It's very true. And an eye opener. <laughs> Indeed. And in summary, Michael says, not as naff as rumored. And how can you not love an inanimate cactus villain? And as his rating, he gives this. Oh, here we go. Here we go, Jim. <laughs> Are you paying attention? As his rating, he gives this. 3.7 out of 5 dodecahedron non-believers crushed by a big stone by Looney Barbara. Crunch! <laughs> <laughs> okay, you found a friend that agrees with you. That's right. <laughs> Hello, Michael. You're my friend who agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> Do awesome. you agree with Michael as well, Podcast Land? Then head on over to Twitter and tell Michael as much. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. Done with the underscores. Next up, we have, I believe, one of these. New reviewer. Wow. Amazing. Hello, Stephen from Canada. Hello, Stephen. How's Canada? <laughs> Glad to have you aboard. Stephen starts. Megalos. This season 18 four-parter tries to tackle one of the most prolific themes in sci-fi. The conflict between science, religion, and cacti. <laughs> <laughs> That's important stuff. The story features some great elements, from Tom Baker in a double role as both hero and villain, fantastic models and costumes, and the Doc and Romana groundhog daying around in the TARDIS. If only Bill Murray knew he just needed to repeat his morning routine to get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very different film. <laughs> yep. The return of Jacqueline Hill was a welcome treat. Her performance in this story being reminiscent of Barbara's time as Yataxis in the Aztecs. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> An excellent reminder as to why the Hartnell era is my personal favorite. Oh, wow. Here's my friend who agrees with me. Maybe not about the Hartnell era, but certainly about Yataxa. Oh, very nice. Stephen continues. The only real criticism is that the blue screen effects haven't held up as well as it has in other stories. But the old who adage still holds true. The story more than makes up for the effects. Oh, I've just seen this rating. Oh, I've just seen this rating. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, Stephen is concluding. Overall, this story earns a score of four burgundy trench coats out of five. Yes, 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 yes. Here's my friend who mega agrees with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to steal your line, Leon. And I'm going to say anyone giving us around the four, particularly you, Stephen, you have a big heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. Wait, by proxy, that means I have one as well. I guess so. Nice one. Signing off, long-time listener, first-time reviewer, Stephen from Canada. Nice. Thank you very much for listening along. Thank you very much for sending in a review. Super glad to be traveling down this temporal road with you, Stephen. Yes. More, please. More. Awesome. Yes. More, more, more. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Last reviewer time, I believe. And we got Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. Hello, Nick. Okay, the doctor. Nick starts. Hey there, podcast people. Well, hey there yourself, Nick. Great to be back in touch in these tricky times. I've finally caught up with my Who marathon and can provide my reviews again. Hope you are doing well. Here goes with Megalos. Well, Nick, hope you are doing well as well. Hope everyone is doing well. Holy moly. Glad to be providing a distraction. Nick starts. I love Megalos. Oh, that's a good start. And I love season 18 in general. Disclaimer. This is the season I watched when I was introduced to Doctor Who as a wee nipper, so I will most likely be biased in my reviews on this season. I love the atmosphere of season 18 and the focus on science, possibly a move towards more serious stories based on science. The incidental music in this period is mega atmospheric and continues on into Davidson. In reality, Megalos is a so-so story, but fun nonetheless. In terms of the look of it, I think the model work is quite nice, particularly the, the dodecahedron. In fact, the sets are great for this period. There's some interesting costumes, including those weird haircuts for the characters with the blonde wigs on. Yes, hubba hubba. Also, the standard bungling robber guys who look similar to those in the Reboss operation. Nice. Served a purpose plot-wise, I guess. Yeah, I guess. And it continues, it's a bizarre story, but I kind of like the bizarrity of it. The suit guy who turns up at the start and proceeds to get tortured and turned into a cactus is a strange addition to the story. <laughs> I'm wondering what they were, the thinking was behind that. Didn't seem to add it. Didn't seem to add anything. And then you get the weird talking cactus. <laughs> Barbara's return was epic, but unfortunately she didn't then return as a companion. Also, the now quite common depiction of an alternative evil version of the Doc shows greater depth of Baker's acting skills. So, all in all, concludes Nick. As mentioned, you will get massively biased scores from me this season purely because of a nostalgia factor. It's a maligned story in fandom, apparently, but I love it so, even though it is so, so. I'm giving it a 3.3. Nice one, Nick. Awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling the nostalgia through this mini. This is great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you very much for sending that in, Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. You know what? I think for once we can say this is a mixed bag of reviews. We've got some very low, some middling, and some fairly high. Yeah, that's very true. I love it. I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Everyone got a little bit of a different take. Exactly. <laughs> and yet we all get along as human beings. Isn't that an allegory of these times? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Hang on, more tequila. But of course, if only we could just all drink tequila and feel the way that Leon does right now. <laughs> I feel great. It tastes like shit, but I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you very much, everyone who sent in a mini for this one. Fantastic stuff. Much appreciated. What have we got coming up next, Jim? In Classic Land, I hope we're going to get some Gallifreyan action in full circle. Oh, yeah. Love me some Gallifreyan action. (laughs) 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 Before that, though, we're jumping into New Who territory with the Zygon Invasion. Yeah, which I remember being fantastic. Well, I mean, it's a two-parter. I remember that two-parter being fantastic. I remember always confusing this one with the other Zygon one. (laughs) (laughs) I will have to re-remember what the hell it's all about. And audio, there might be something, I'm guessing. And bonus, there might be something. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Sorry, can't remember what the next audio review is going to be, but it'll happen at some point. Sorry, that was a tequila hiccup. So I think that pretty neatly uh, rounds off our Meglos... It's not a soiree. Our Meglos afternoon. I've had a blast. Yeah. I hope Podcast Land has had a blast listening to this. Oh, how we could have they not have had? Such good fun recording. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, you can reach out to us across the ether... Tickle us on the on the back of our neck. Make us feel really uncomfortable. Jim, are you on Twitter or some other kind of social medium? Yeah, I'm on the normal social mediums that you can't tickle people on the back of the neck. I don't know which one you're on. I'm on the one called Twitter. And then you can find me at Jimmy the Who. And Podcast Land, find me on Adult Friend Finder. I'm... <laughs> JK, you can find me on Twitter. I am still, at the moment, at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. <laughs> Is someone out there doing a sweepstake on when uh, when you're actually going to change your, your handle? I really <laughs> hope so. Someone's going to make a fortune. I think I've decided what it's going to be now. I mean, I, I say this as a person who basically never tweets. Like, I don't use Twitter. The only thing that my account does is retweet what I tweet from who back when. <laughs> but maybe that'll change. You know, maybe a new handle will be an impetus for more activity. Anywho... Please stay safe, stay responsible. Uh, Depending on where you are in the world, if you are in the States, please go and vote. And you know what? Be rad and excellent to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook! That's facebook.com slash who back when! All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when! All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao. 
Welcome back, Wayne. I'm really sorry. I feel like I derailed that towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Very <was> convincing. <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. 